Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crip, the crowdfunding podcast. Each week, I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, July 28th, 2014. And for the next five episodes, we'll be taking a little walk down memory lane with some of the coolest projects that you helped to fund. Now let's get started. During this week in history, in 1967, the legendary rock band The Doors scored their first number one hit with Light My Fire. In the year 117 AE, after Earth, during an exceptionally violent storm dubbed the Red Solstice, the human colonies on Mars lost all contact with Tharsis, the colony referred to as the Capital. Soldiers in the service of the Elysium Corporation, elite marine troops, were sent to find out what happened to the colony. The Red Solstice on Kickstarter by Iron Ward, and I'm talking to Mr. H. I believe he is the head man in charge, and that's why I'm calling him Mr. H. And I am very excited about this Kickstarter. You would ask me why? I mean, all you got to do is look at the video. I'm a guy, and I get excited by visuals. And this video has, like, troops on it. It looks like it has aliens. It at least has warring factions on it. And I'm thinking Battlestar Galactica when I looked at it. And that's what I keep saying over and over. I was like, man, this reminds me of Battlestar Galactica. You know, the reboot with the female Starbuck. And you know how incredible that was. So that's why I'm here with Mr. H. And, we're, you know, he and I are touching base. I'm in the U.S. He's in Croatia. But it doesn't matter, man. We're only six pixels away. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having us. Sorry to talk so much, man. No problem. I'm here, you talk, we'll communicate normally, and uh, we're cool, you know. Yeah, man, but you're cooler than I am, man. That's, <laughs> you know, I gotta get jealous. <laughs> why, why am I cooler? <laughs> because I'm like, you know, sell, 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 and you're like just laid back. It's like, man, you know, we on Kickstarter and we doing what we do, man. We doing what we. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay, I, I can't be like that right now. I mean, I'm usually cool, calm, collected, but I saw Red Solstice on Kickstarter, and, and I was like, I'd really like to be involved if these cats would give me a chance, and so. I'm very happy that you did give me a chance. So you like the video, you say, like, it's cool like this? I love the video, man. It was like, you know, like I said, it was like Battlestar Galactica to me. Why does it remind you of uh, Battlestar Galactica? I'm a sci-fi type of guy, period, right? Yeah. I remember a line from Stargate, and he was always saying on Stargate, the, the commander, he was always saying, I want some big honking space guns. And you guys had, like, in the video, they had, like, these big honking space guns. And so that brings me to Battlestar Galactica because, you know, it was about guns. And, you know, whoever had the biggest firepower kind of won. And it's (laughs) like I'm seeing you guys, like, march kind of like in an infantry type of way across the screen. And so you kind of, like, see a military type of tactics being played out in this video game. And that's why, well... That and I'd just been watching a Battlestar Galactica marathon <laughs> for about five days. Yeah, that's now. about it. <laughs> so I was trying to pull all that together, and then I was like, "Hold up, 
It's because I've been watching the Battlestar Galactica marathon for five days. My man, who knows? I know, but it's like you. It's like it still benefited you either way. I spun the story, man. I wasn't trying to lie. <laughs> yeah. So I am very susceptible to advertising and, and things like. Aren't I supposed to be interviewing you? What what is this? You've turned the yeah, tables. Yeah, let's, let's on go. Me. Let's go. Let's uh, ask the question. Shoot away. <laughs> Shoot away. All right. Well, in your letter, you appeal to me as real people with honest dreams. Like you put everything into this game. Your team trying to make this dream come true. That's totally true. We've been working like for past five years, you know, using our own uh, finances, uh, right. like uh, working from uh, college and stuff like that in our free time to make this work. And mm-hmm. now, like, we reached some kind of a quality version that we can present to people. And so far, the reception has been pretty good. And the Kickstarter is basically our goal to make the game properly polished, add a lot more content, and release it for the public right. and final version. Uh, so we can all be happy about it and uh, be proud of that game totally, 100%. Let's say, you know, hypothetically, alternate universe, you get the money, you fund it. Will it take you another five years to finish this game? Oh, or no, when, am, no. when am I going to get my game, man? That's, that's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm about. When am I going to get my game? Let's say if the Kickstarter is funded, the first beta version is going to be playable around one month after the Kickstarter. We're just going to finish it up, uh, finish some stuff, and then we're going to keep adding content. It's going to be on Steam Early Access like a month after. That's the right. plan. And we are planning to release it in August this year. Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty soon, man. I'm sorry I asked you such a loaded question. You. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a mean question. When am I going to get my stuff, man? <laughs> What's the story of Red Solstice? Because I haven't really explained it to the people. I've been hyping and hyping and hyping and... You know, that's kind of an injustice in a little bit. So why don't you tell me what Red Solstice is all about? Red Solstice is the name of the storm. And the Red Solstice is happening, the, the storm, is happening 117 years after the evacuation of Earth. Oh. And Earth has been decimated by the virus that has killed all the humans and made them mutate into various alien-like creatures. That includes zombies too, of course. Zombies are unstoppable, <laughs> yeah. man. You can't leave them out. So basically now... Uh, current situation people are on mars they have created colonies and they have started terraforming mars up to 60 percent already and there's a huge storm happening at the moment there's like every winter solstice on mars there's a huge sandstorms happening and the red solstice is like the biggest sandstorm ever and all communications are down in the biggest capital colony and that's where the that's where the trouble starts basically you're a part of an uh, elite marine force who have to discover what has happened. And of course, there's a huge amount of creatures roaming around the colony. You have to find the source, eliminate it. You have to find a way to stop that entire chaos that's been happening. And you have many, many tools and ways to do it. The uh, game has a, a four alternate endings depending on your performance in the field. And you have some big honking space guns. Am I correct? Definitely. You have the nuke. That's all you need to know. Oh, well, it gets no bigger than that, man. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless you're saying I got an antimatter, I mean, that would go. <laughs> That's the expansion, antimatter. Antimatter is the expansion, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and how many people on your team? There's eight people on, uh, on the team, and over 25 people have worked in various versions of the game, like volunteering, helping, or like just for the credits or stuff like that. So we wanted to help them, they helped us, so uh, they both, uh, we helped each other, basically. It's it's a game of our dreams because uh, 
we're really uh, happy about it and how it became because it's entertaining, it's addictive, and it has a replayability factor that you keep coming back after. Oh yeah, play, yeah, play, yeah! Like know. like those um, Battlestar Galactica marathons I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> replay yeah. factor. Yeah, the replay <laughs> factor, the Battlestar Galactica marathon. <laughs> well, what haven't I asked you? You know, like. Like, I didn't get the point, I left something out. What's a big sales point that maybe I missed and you want me to know? The Red Souls is a game which is played with seven other players, basically, in a co-op cooperation. So you find seven other friends, you sit up and you play together as a marine squad. Right, right. You can be a leader, so you can lead your squad, like give waypoints, create routes. There's a lot, a lot of strategy in the game, and that's, uh, that's what we're really, really proud of it. That's what also gives the replayability factor, because sometimes you're going to lead the squad to death, sometimes you're going to lead them to victory, sometimes you'll finish different missions, sometimes you'll get a bad ending, sometimes you'll get a good ending, sometimes you'll find a boss you have never seen before. So basically there's a lot of random factor also happening in the game. Right. For all the people who love like uh, tactical games, uh, games for example like Dawn of War 2, XCOM, Syndicate Wars... Red Souls is something they will surely enjoy. It's especially a nice uh, when playing with friends over the over the network, like eight friends put right, together right. and they're playing. That's like awesome feeling, like, you know. Right, you have right. to survive in a one-hour session, whether for good or for the bad. It's up to you. You mean you scare me, man? I mean that adrenaline <laughs> and stuff, man. Wow, that's pretty cool, man. Um, Thanks, man. Is there a nice long playthrough or something, or an alpha build or something? That people, yeah. if they wanted to check that out on Kickstarter or or was that Steam Light or something like that? Yeah, at the moment there's like a demo version of the game. It's like a single player part of the game. Uh, it basically presents the game mechanics. You can like activate stewards and stuff like that. Basically, it's a cool 10 minute uh, gameplay just so, so players can see what can they expect the game. Now, that's only a single player version, but uh, it shows all the mechanics that you will experience in the multiplayer co-op version of the game. How do they find it? It's on the Kickstarter page. They, it's a demo there. You just click it and download it. So. For anyone out there, go to Kickstarter, and if you're into like a dystopic, but, you know, kind of blood and guts type of thing, Red Solstice by Ironwood. And if you can't find it there, go to DJGrandpa.com where we have the coolest games out there. And sometimes they're games that nobody even has. You know why? Because they're not funded yet. As soon as they get their funding, then everybody will have it. So you want to be part of the revolution. You want to be one of those early adopters of technology. Yeah, that's the place to go. Thanks, Mr. H, man. It was really cool talking to you, man, and the whole Croatia thing, man. Totally live. You guys have... I hear you guys throw the livest parties, man. Thank you, man. That's true. <laughs> you got to come to Croatia. my opinion, the young generation of white, black, brown, whatever else there is, you're living at a time of extremism, a time of revolution, revolution, revolution. Hello. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Good, thanks. Now, um, Tina, what part do you do for the film? I'm the producer, and Diana's the director. And let's see, the name of the film, the name of the film, United Skates. That's right. How long have you guys been working on this project, putting it together? Okay, so this is Diana. 
We actually started filming roller skating over a year ago, but for a different project. We were looking at how in New York City there are actually no rinks left. The one in Brooklyn closed in 2007. And so basically there's all these skaters in New York City and the five boroughs that don't really have a place to skate unless they go to the bottom of Staten Island, out to Long Island, or out to New Jersey. And so we were kind of looking at how the disco days were over and skating was kind of disappearing and at the end of its road. And uh, in doing so, we discovered that we were really wrong. And there was a huge, vibrant community of skaters. They had just kind of gone underground. And so we shifted and started making a separate film, which is this film, United Skates, and uh, have been following these skaters now across the country for about four months and we've gone to Chicago and Detroit and New Jersey and New York and Virginia and Atlanta Baltimore and Baltimore (laughs) (laughs) all just to film different styles and skaters that are emerging around the country yeah I thought skating was dead (laughs) it is not Yeah, this is Tina. It's definitely not dead. And there's a whole other world other than Derby and Disco, which is everyone's sort of response when we say we're making a movie about roller skating. And there is, as Deanna said, a very vibrant community. Okay, well, you said it's gone underground. Usually when things go underground, they morph into something. So what has it morphed into? Depends on where you go in what city. In uh, Chicago, for example, it reflects... James Brown so much that their style is called JB and they do things that would blow your mind. Tina, you want to describe some? <laughs> yeah, this is Tina. It's uh, The JB style is probably the most show-stopping style of all the skate styles. They skate around the rink and then one of the moves is they sort of spin in the air and then land in the splits. Wow. And guys do this as well. <laughs> and it's a real incredible thing to witness a whole, you know, mass of people doing it. Wow. Sometimes you'll get like five or six or seven skaters that will like fly full speed and then just body slam onto the rink and then hit the splits and they all start hitting the splits in a row just split 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 it's insane it's kind of like hip-hop meets animating meets gymnastics on wheels but better yeah (laughs) definitely so it's not you it's not your dad's Oldsmobile anymore. Something totally different. <laughs> Definitely not, unless your dad was really, really uh, athletic and <laughs> could bring out the moves. It sounds pretty incredible. <laughs> this is Diana. These skaters, they take it so seriously. It's it's really like um, an athletic sport for them. Some of them skate not only seven days a week, but multiple times in a day. They'll leave work with their skates to go skate and then skate all night long until their legs are spasming and they can't actually walk to their cars and they have to sit and ice them down before they leave the ranks. They work so hard at their craft to be as good at it as they are. And um, Tina and I are insanely respectful in um, our humble approaches to learn how to skate with them (laughs) (laughs) yeah and this is Tina and just echoing on that um, it's also more than just the sport I mean there is a real sense of community and family within the skate world that's definitely something that really drew us into it because it is really incredible to witness these people coming together whether it's their local skating rink or across the nation at skate jams or skate party weekends. But they're all family. And 
as they say in one of our skaters says in, in the uh, the film, you know, their skates is like their bloodline, and that's so true. Well, from your trailer, it's a lot of brown people. Um, from your trailer, it seems as though uh, like they're almost escaping the environment that's around them. Like if there's gang culture or violence in their community, that this is kind of like a neutral ground. This is Diana. I would say that first and foremost, they're a community that's over ten thousand strong, and they're really clean. They don't fall into any of the stereotypes that I think someone from the outside may want to perceive them as being when they see a thousand African Americans all together in one space with nightclub music from midnight to 6 a.m. It is a hundred percent alcohol-free, drug-free, and violence-free. It is remarkable and beautiful and an experience that has moved a lot of people and saved a lot of people by being a part of it. And I think in terms of the communities that the rinks are found in, in terms of the physical location, part of the problem is that it's so expensive to own a rink. Insurance is so high, rent is so high, but the economy, rinks are closing everywhere. And the only rinks that are, for the most part, able to stay open are really far away from large cities and in really impoverished parts of town where there maybe is more violence or more hardship. But the skaters themselves, most of the time, don't come from those communities. They just drive hours and hours into those communities to find a rink where they can practice what they do. And also, and this is Tina, um, there is a real cross-section of you know where these skaters are coming from. I mean, you know, a lot of them are successful business owners. Uh, others are just struggling. They're living day to day, but they all come together and skate. And it doesn't matter where you're from, as long as you've got your skates on and you're there on the rink. That's that's all that really matters. It's not where you're from; it's where you're at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And who you are. No. So you guys went out, documentary filmmakers, and you went out to document the death of an industry, and somehow you were wrong. And so now you're on the trail of, of a genesis or some type of rebirth. Uh, not even a rebirth, but what happened to the industry that you thought was dead? It's still alive and it's morphed into something totally incredible. You nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> you nailed it. Yeah, I nailed it. Huh. Sometimes when you have a culture that's kind of underground or maybe you feel is like a little secretive, sometimes there are people who don't like that sort of thing you know you kind of never like to see someone pass you on the road when you're driving you know type of thing so are they finding resistance toward their culture this whole skating movement that they've kept alive that they've gone underground with this is tina i mean definitely with the decline of rinks across the country it's become harder and harder for them to find places where they can skate And then we have found that in some instances, and we've been told that there are some rink owners that aren't open to the, as they call it, the urban skate night, which Mm -hmm. caters to this style of skating, that style of music. Because as Deanna mentioned before, you know, people have preconceived ideas about what this group of African-Americans, predominantly African-American, you know, people would do once they're inside their rink, when it's the exact opposite. So, yeah, I mean, they're definitely fighting that um, on different levels in different cities. I think that's partly, this is Diana. why they also are so welcoming of Tina and I is that they really want 
people to understand who they are and to be seen for who they are. And, you know, like it says in the in the trailer, they're not asking to be understood, but they're asking to be recognized. And if this film can help to break down some of those stereotypes and allow for these most talented skaters to be welcomed into rinks that they have every right and should be welcomed into, then hopefully Tina and I have done our job. Now, I've never heard of you two ladies before as filmmakers, and that means nothing, because it's not <laughs> like I'm a film aficionado. But I say this because I watched your trailer on Kickstarter, and it was incredible. You two are superb at your craft, man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Now, you mentioned about the, the JB, the James Brown style, a guy that I, that I always wish to honor. Are there any other styles that stand out to you? Oh, my goodness. There's so <laughs> many styles. There's a style coming out of D.C., Maryland, Baltimore called snapping. That's pretty great. Sometimes they do it in a train where they'll all hook arms and weave in and out, and the person on the very end will snap. Or sometimes they do it um, in partners, and one person kind of is there to balance the other one, and the other one will do really amazing tricks squatting down going through their legs getting flipped up in the air but it's always snapping on the beat when you come back which is why it's called snapping there's one called striding from ohio i knew you were gonna go there (laughs) i was like striding say striding (laughs) they'll like jump up in the air on their skates and do a 360 and then land and then the sound when they hit the floor hits it on the beat so you'll get two or three or four or five skaters land and just boom right on the beat and then they start sometimes they'll like start body slapping them like while they're skating and and stomping their feet yeah there's so many there's detroit they'll turn on the sides of their skates and just slide all the way across the floor until you can smell burning rubber in the air there's fast backwards coming out of philadelphia but they do it in a lot of places as well where they literally go backwards so fast that if you just watch one of the skaters go by your hair just <laughs> goes flying into your face. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that type of movement was over with the death of James Brown and Michael Jackson. You're telling me it's still alive. <laughs> Very much so. Wow. Very much so. And it's and it's evolving as well. There's new styles or new moves that are being created like every week. So it's it's pretty exciting to witness. So if I go to Kickstarter.com mm-hmm. and I type in United Skates and I see your trailer and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm like wild by all of it. So everybody go to Kickstarter.com and check it out. United Skates. I'm telling you, it's incredible. But that's not enough for me. This looks like this generation's flash dance or something to me. And you guys <laughs> come and bring it all around and teach me even more than I expected. So I just want to say hats off and thank you very much. No offense to flash dance, but I hope it's a little bit cooler. <laughs> I can't go there. No disrespect to flash dance. I can't yeah. go there. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Remember, we are the crowdfunding channel and we cover the globe. Hi, everybody. I'm George. And I'm Matt. And we're here to tell you about a great new game called Chromancer. I'm going to tell you the truth. I know nothing. I mean, I have questions. <laughs> well, my name is George Masri, and uh, I'm here on the line with uh, John Paul uh, Gagnon-Muzakis, who's my partner and one of the founding members of Chromancer. We're an online trading card game, and we're using Kickstarter to launch ourselves. We're lifelong card game players, and we've decided to put this product online for a number of reasons. I'd say the two major reasons are that 
in the first place, we feel like as card games have gone online, they've lost some of the things that made them great when they were offline, when they're on the tabletop. And we're trying to bring those things back. And in the second place, we just have a really great game that's extremely innovative and that's not more of the same. This is an industry where when people are into card games and they play a lot of them, they tend to find that every game they play seems kind of like every other game they've played. Uh, they're very, very similar. The rules are very similar. The, the way you win is very similar. Our game is very different, very new. So we're finding in, in just our initial testing that guys that enjoy card games and that have been playing these things for 10 years or more are fascinated by our game because for the first time they're, in, in a long time, they really have to think very differently about how to play a card game. And that's obviously exciting for people. Would you label this almost like a second generation of online card trading games? Yeah, I think that's fair. And the difference from a game mechanics perspective is that the point of this game is not the traditional just trying to beat your opponent directly. In most games, you know, the opponent has a score and you have a score, sort of an amount of life is usually how it's referred to. And you're playing the whole game trying to reduce that number of your opponent down to zero. And whoever brings his opponent to zero first wins the game. That's kind of the whole premise of the way most of these games work. We've taken that totally outside the box, and we've said, the way this game is going to play is you're going to sit across the table from somebody, and you're going to say, I have a deck of cards in front of me, and I have a discard pile in front of me, and I have a little pool of resources, a little pile of coins or something, and I'm literally going to try to stop you from using your deck and your discard pile and your pile of coins. So it's like you're playing a game where the whole point of the game is to stop the opponent from being able to play normally. And it just changes the way you have to think about card games in general. No, no, it sounds like a strategy game, so I'm starting to understand it. This is John Paul. It's very much a strategy game, and one of the things that we've introduced, and you know, this isn't necessarily something that nobody else has done, but it definitely kind of plays into the strengths of our gameplay. But one of the things that we've done is introduced a very strong positional aspect to the gameplay. Meaning? So it's almost like uh, there are some elements, if you will, of a board game, because as you play down your cards, the positioning of the layout, where you move your cards on a game board, uh, which is kind of where the the area of play is, it matters a lot, and it'll affect kind of how the game plays out. Now, do you feel as though you've explained the mechanics of the game well enough for, you know, the layman to be able to understand? What I'll say about the game is that it's a really fun game. One of the card games that I really enjoy uh, playing is poker. And one of the reasons I enjoy playing poker is because it's not always about what you hold. It's also about what your opponent holds. And playing that game well kind of depends on understanding what your opponent's going to do and trying to outwit him. And our game plays kind of like that. And that's a bit new in the trading card game industry to an extent. There's bluffing, there's tactics, there's a lot of the play revolves around trying to figure out what is most important to your opponent and then trying to disable him in an equivalent way. How many people can play this game at one time? The game itself, when you sit down and play with somebody, is one-on-one. It's a dual game, so you're actually playing against one other person. I should add, though, that as is the case with a lot of online games, we're going to have guilds, uh, which are basically groups of people, usually friends, that come together to play together collectively. So we're probably going to have some modes of the game where you are in a team kind of a context. Um, and, you know, you might enter a tournament, one team against another team or something like that. Okay. Like I said, me being a novice, what have I forgotten? What have I overlooked? I think probably the most interesting thing about what we're doing for somebody who totally doesn't play card games is that we're 
pretty much pioneering a new concept in online gaming, which many other companies have taken up as well. But in our particular industry, I think we're the first to do it. And that is that we're using something called persistent virtual goods. that, That is what it sounds like. It's virtual goods that people own. So, you know, they have a bunch of cards on their account that don't really exist. They're digital, but we treat them like they're real. So it means that, you know, for example, if you buy 10 cards off of our online store, those 10 cards are actually, they've actually come from a digital print run, which is a single limited print run. Every card has a serial number on it. It's never going to be destroyed and it's never going to be duplicated. So if you are somebody who's going to stick around for a while and, you know, in year one, you buy a couple cards in the alpha edition, then a few years later, uh, if you want to trade those cards on the market, you're going to find that they've gone up in value because uh, those are alpha edition cards that have never been reprinted. That reality of trading, which exists in the real world, has been lost in most online games, which... Uh, basically just print unlimited copies of things. And I, I actually understand that. <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, one, one thing that I'll add, uh, just kind of following off of what George is saying, is that this is something that for us as a, as a company isn't necessarily the route to profit maximization. It would be obviously a lot easier for us to simply, uh, you know, press a button and, uh, you know, digitally print an infinite number of copies of the same card whenever we needed it. Uh, not pay anything more, not do anything more. The way that it is now, or the the model that we're trying to introduce here, is something whereby whenever we need to increase the supply of cars, because let's say you know tomorrow we um, we increased our player base by another thousand people, and so those people need access to cars, and and let's say there isn't enough supply in the system. You know when we when we conduct a second, a follow-on print run, it will be, like what George was implying, a different edition. And that's a different edition that's differentiated by new artwork, uh, maybe different types of borders, some kind of substantive way that people can say, oh, this is from this edition, this is from that edition. And so as a collector, I want to be collecting kind of old editions, newer editions, etc. And that costs us money because whenever we you know, print something with new artwork, we have to pay for that artwork. Okay. The more important part of what it does is it it girds the investment uh, of the player. It means if you're going to be willing to spend time or money with our game, we are going to make sure that that time and that money investment is protected. I mean, you've dumbed it down so much that that even I understand now, and I appreciate that. You made it dummy-proof, and that's what I needed, man. I just needed it the, the, the one plus one equals two. I feel as though you've done that now because I didn't know where in the world how I was going to pull this interview off because I kept reading the material and I was like, I don't know, man. It's not necessarily so obvious because it's a fairly new thing. But at the end of the day, this is going to be obvious to people in 10 years or 20 years because this is exactly where all of this is going. Right. As people invest real time and real money into virtual products and they're doing that more and more, It's just a fact that those things have value. And so sooner or later, people are going to say, hey, you know, if I'm willing to spend just hours and hours and weeks and weeks of my time and money on this, you know, you had darn well better protect my investment. Sooner or later, it's going to just be that uh, a lot of this online, uh, these online goods and this online currency is interchangeable with real currency. It's almost getting there now. 
I think I'm going to describe it as, I'm going to sum it, sum it up as, you guys are just not another MP3. <laughs> I, I hope not. <laughs> right. Something special about it. I can understand that now. And, and I can say to the listener that I think that John Paul and George are, I think they've dumbed it down for me, man. And that's what I needed. And there's no disrespect to anyone who's listening who, who got it, you know, eight minutes ago, who understood what he was talking about. But I didn't. But for those of you who understand and need more information, go to kickstarter.com, go to cromancer.com and check it out for yourself. And that's cromancer, C-H-R-O-M-A-N-C-E-R. It's an adaptive strategy online trading card game. And I guess the emphasis is that they're trying to say that it's actually a trading card game because the cards will have value as time goes on instead of it just being another pretty face, another one million of the same card in a bunch. That's right. And I'd like to thank you two gentlemen for coming on the show and explaining it to me so eloquently. Well, thank well, you thank so much for, for having us. For having us, yeah. How are you, Jacob? Great. How are you? Okay, DJ Grandpa here. I'm with uh, Adam Morrow, who's also producing the film. Hi, DJ Grandpa. Thanks for the invite to the show. Wow, both of you. You know this is a crowded elevator, don't you? It's a private elevator. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, well, we'll try to mind our P's and Q's. You know, I don't, li- I don't like surprises. It's a private elevator. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I can leave if you'd rather. <laughs> no, no, no. You're in here now. Let me push the button. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. This is DJ Grandpa's favorite part of the show coming up. It's called The Elevator Pitch. And today I have Jacob and Adam. And they have a film documentary on Kickstarter about painting the way to the moon. And I don't really understand it. So I'm a little confused, a little ambiguous. So I would like to say welcome to you two gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thanks for the invite to the show. Do you guys understand? Was that an alien or something? Oh, that's my dog. I'm sorry. (laughs) Go ahead. All right, we might have to keep him on. But what I wanted to say is, do you two gentlemen know what an elevator pitch is? You should since you're in the film industry. Oh, yeah, we know. We know the elevator pitch. Okay. Okay. For those listeners who don't know, I'm a guy in a suit. I'm one of those money guys. I'm walking towards the elevator. And you know those type of money guys, they really don't have time for other people, i.e., you know, I'm not saying the Kickstarter community is like that, but let's say the Kickstarter community, I represent them because I'm the guy with the money and they have the money that you want from people. We get in the elevator. I'm going to floor number seven. All of a sudden, before I can close the elevator, these two gentlemen bogart in the door. (laughs) Why do you two gentlemen deserve the money? A few years ago, I got a call from this really strange dude named Ed Belbruno, right. and the first thing he said to me, before even introducing himself, was, I have the greatest secret in the history of humanity. Wow. So, if that's not a good way to open, start a conversation, I don't know what is. Right. <laughs> Needless to say, it certainly piqued Jacob's interest. <laughs> right. So, as it turns out, this guy, Ed, he's a NASA scientist. He got his PhD from NYU in something called celestial mechanics, and he's also a painter. And so he decided one day uh, while he was working at NASA that the way we send people and satellites to space isn't good enough. So he thought that he could use chaos theory to 
send satellites, spacecraft into space without using tons of fuel the way that we normally do it. Right. But the way that he did it was through art. So he started, you know, going on a painting frenzy using inspiration of Vincent van Gogh. And so as it happens, you know, one of the paintings that Ed did, he actually traced the orbit that a satellite would take, you know, using this chaotic pathway where you don't need to use that much rocket fuel or almost any at all. This completely changed the way we do space travel. And at the time, in the 80s, everyone thought he was crazy. I mean, I thought he was crazy when he called me up. I almost hung up on him. He is crazy. He's tapped into something very deep and exciting. You know, we think that this is a story that, you know, people who like science but are afraid of it, they could relate to this story or educators could relate to this story. It seems as though you're talking about some sort of ballistic trajectory, way of slingshotting, you know, man-made orbital platforms to different places throughout our solar system. So if I understand you correctly on that, that does sound pretty intriguing, and it would be a way to save fuel. So I'm starting to understand your idea now, unless you tell me I'm straight up wrong in what I just said. No, no, I think that's correct. I think you're very much correct. <laughs> Yeah, we're not going to argue with you. <laughs> You're not going to. Well, I, I'm the guy in the elevator. You should never argue with the guy in the That's elevator. That's right. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying this is a crazy idea anymore. I'm like, man, wow, this is cool. I think the Kickstarter community should take a glance at this project. So I think you guys have done a great job on the elevator pitch. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to get off at this floor. It was nice meeting you, gentlemen. And uh, I'll talk to the board and, and, and let them know. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, and we'll, we'll let you out of the elevator now. <laughs> I'm kind of claustrophobic. You should never trap a guy like me in a small space. I might have to let security know about you guys. But, <laughs> but you know, I'd like to say thank you to Jacob and Adam <laughs> for letting me know as much information as I could stand about painting The Way to the Moon, which seems to be a brilliant film and you should check out the cinematography of it it is beautiful and there's a nutty professor and a kind of crazy guy but his theories have been proven sound and that's what counts so thanks for coming on the crypt thank, thank you, you so much. much thank you i'd like to thank all our guests this week and a special thanks goes out to trevor williams for contributing the theme song to DJ Grandpa's Crib. I'd also like to welcome Theron Kennedy to the DJ Grandpa team. He signed on as Director of Marketing so that the projects we feature can reach more people. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is A.F. Rupert.